Are you ready to learn the business skills you need to accelerate your career? The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business is now offering its highly ranked working professional MBA entirely online. Whether you choose to attend on campus, online, or a mix of both, you're in control, balancing the demands on your busy schedule. Don't wait. Start your personalized MBA journey this fall. Visit go.osu.edu slash WPMBA to learn more and apply. The Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, where principled leaders are created. Are you passionate about your professional future but not sure what's next? The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business can take your education and career to the next level with its highly ranked working professional MBA. With flexibility to earn a degree entirely on campus, online, or a mix of both, an MBA from Ohio State is more accessible than ever. To get started, visit go.osu.edu slash WPMBA. The Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, where principled leaders are created. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All Hit Radio Welcome to the X-Zone A place where fact is fiction And fiction is reality Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Mutual Broadcast Network, Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, and Radio X throughout Europe. If you'd like to send me an email, my email address is xzone at xzoneradio.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And our radio website, where you can find out what we've been doing in the past, what we're doing today in the present, and what we're going to be doing tomorrow in the future, just visit www.exoneradio.com. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Karen Marr, and she is a natural-born clairvoyant and has been able to communicate with spiritual energy ever since a child. After her parents became aware of her abilities, they uh, sent her to spend more time with her grandmother. And apparently it was the grandmother and her family that had this gift that traveled through the generations. Now, once uh, Karen reached adulthood, people sought her out for her ability with their entities. This was when um, people would ask for palm readings or to channel a spirit to ask a question or questions. Mostly, Karen specialized in contact with the spirits of those who had passed away yet still remain. In 1995, after moving to Charleston, South Carolina from Ohio, again people began asking for readings by referrals from others. In 2009, Karen began giving ghost tours for bulldog tours. Uh, Through them, access to several haunted locations became possible. This was one way that she could get nearer to spirits that had already made contact with her. 
Joining me now is Karen Marr. And Karen, welcome to the X-Zone. Thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you doing tonight uh, out there? Well, we're doing fine, Karen. Um, tell us about your youth and how did being a person who was able to communicate with spirits affect you as a child? Well, when I was younger, I mean, I was I was a very young toddler when this started to happen. Mm-hmm. I was uh, around my two friends, and I grew up in a neighborhood where everybody was Catholic, and this wasn't exactly something that was widely accepted, religiously speaking. And when I get around my girlfriends, we would talk if we had imaginary friends. You know, we're just kids talking, and I had this one imaginary friend that was a middle-aged man I called Henry, and I had detail about how he dressed. He wore pants and in his shirt, and he had suspenders, and he was sort of a kindly, chunky, boat, dark-haired man that was like a grandfather type. And, you know, he would kind of joke around with me, and, mm-hmm. you know, if I didn't know any better, you'd almost think the man could wear a clown suit. He was just real sort of gentle and, and 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 enjoyed being outside. I was outside in fields around the flowers and stuff. He seemed to come around. I'd see him. Mm-hmm. So these were some of my imaginary friends. Well, that's what they were called, but I thought that's what they were. What was it like the so, first time that you were able to communicate with someone who was on the other side that was remaining behind instead of going towards the light? When I realized it? Yeah. What was it like? I was I was a bit older then. I was more uh, into school, and my mind was starting to be more constructed as it does as you grow older into adult life, more structured and more mm-hmm. time managed. And at that point, I'd actually realized that I was having contact with spirits because prior to that, it, I didn't know any better. I was a child. It was just like imagination, living in imagination. So, so when I finally realized it, I was probably kindergarten going into first grade, and there was an entity that would come to my parents' house that was more of a, it was really scary. It was very shadow and dark, mm-hmm. and would enter the one room across, in the window, I should say, across the way from where my room was at the time, and come across the hallway, and you would see that. I know my sisters have from talking to them as we were growing up. They've seen the same entity, and it would just sort of challenge you to see if you would be afraid of it, but feed on your fear. So I got to a point where from working with my grandmother and and using some of the things she had taught me about prayer, mm-hmm. she always taught me to pray about when you see a spirit, you see if they are okay to be some communicative with, if they don't mean you evil or they don't mean you harm. All right, Karen, please stand day. by. We've got to take a break. Exonation Karen Mars, our guest, www.bulldogtours.com. And we'll be back discussing the strange, the haunted, graveyards, and much more surrounding Charleston, South Carolina, and beyond. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We'll be back. Don't go away. Karen Marr is our guest uh, this hour, Exonation. 
www.bulldogtours.com. Karen, let me ask you a question. Does everyone become a ghost when they die? No, I don't believe everybody becomes a ghost when they die. But, you know, it's a great change. You go from your fleshly body, and instantly at that moment, you no longer have any ability of what mm-hmm. you had in your fleshly body. A um, good example is you no longer have the ability of touch. You're not seeing, you don't hear. The things we mostly want for in our life are connected to our actual body. Once you pass, you turn into your, your uh, spiritual person or mm-hmm. spiritual being, uh, or what I should say, uh, you become this element of entity of atomic sort of carol. You become ionic and, and, and um, protons, neutrons, ions, you become those three elements without a charge on your ionic system. What is manifested on our physical body is our electrolytes. We drink a lot of fluids to keep our electrical charge in our body going. Mm-hmm. This is some of what helps us form our consciousness. We think therefore we am, or are, hate to be a little Nietzsche on you, but basically I think therefore I am is, a, is you know, we really do think therefore we are. We measure our reality in, in time spans and calendars and like clocks, but I don't find spirit do as much of that. The longer they're passed over, the longer they've been dead, in other words, mm-hmm. Uh, the less they seem to have any sort of tetherment or remembrance or memories or anything that they brought from their physical life over to the next side. Now, whether or not they've left and gone on, that's whether or not they've they've passed on and gone towards what is lit. A lot of them tell me dark. So why do they stick around certain places? Like, why do they hang around homes where they where they used to live, or battlefields that are that are hundreds of years old, where they where they died, if they have no recollection after a certain period of time. Their energy itself has a tethered attachment to the emotion, emotional side of it, mm-hmm. and the thought pattern side of it that their energy left that spot is still attached to. They haven't learned to let go, to forgive, to um, repent even. How do we you know, know you this? You can make a spiritual, uh, I guess you'd call it, you know how you make a sort of a pilgrimage in life? You mm-hmm. can make a spiritual pilgrimage after death. Some spirits say they see the light right away. Mm-hmm. Some say it's at a distance. And um, I know from working with spirits that, some of them, as they take time, as they light up, you talk to them, you got to kind of work with them a bit. They don't have a body to work it through, and they get stuck in their emotion. It turns into this quagmire, almost like quicksand, that holds them in their spot. They're frozen in their emotion. So why would, why would ghosts hang around pubs or hang around um, cemeteries? It makes no sense to me. Cemeteries in Charleston is because it was the tradition here to move headstones, never move the bodies, and already use the graves. There's mm-hmm. almost a quarter of a million bodies under a city. Okay, so how does that affect the spirits? Well, their, their desecration is because the dead is overlapped. It also is because the city has been involved in at least five different wars. Mm-hmm. There's been a great deal of sickness that has been in and out of this port that was established in 1670. Mm-hmm. 
So those overlapping tragedies have made these uh, imprints, if you will, of emotion and of thought patterns upon these energies which they don't leave, especially if they had something like you know, yellow fever or, or uh, smallpox or something that caused you to be uh, a bit of comatose before you actually pass from the living to the dead. And how do we know this to be fact? Well, I know now when we go into places with the gadgets that we use for investigation, mm -hmm. they measure in what's called DOS, and it's a flux in the density of the electromagnetic field. Mm -hmm. The Earth reads between 30 and 60 DOS, mm -hmm. and most of the equipment we use to read spirits reads that DOS level. We'll pick it up. Um, the other thing they do, their energy converts to a frequency. Uh-huh. It can speak through an open channel on a radio or a radio-type gadget, even if you're surfing the channels. Only in a hotspot, of course. You're talking about an area that's got a lot of paranormal energy connected to it. In other words, you can't drive through your town and scanning your radio stations and, and just picking up on dead people talking to you through the car. You're going to have to pull up by some place that a lot of people have given accounts of strange things happening, voices when people weren't there, things opening and closing, lights turning on and off, stenches they couldn't explain, um, objects they set down that moved. Uh, they swore to God they heard somebody talking that wasn't there. They could have thought they saw something that wasn't there. They took a picture of something that was odd. Oh, God, I feel like something's watching me. I mean, there's just this gambit of, of everything from emotions to what you see, feel, smell, hear. The only thing I've never done is taste at a dead person, thank goodness. So how do we know that this is real and not psychosomatic? Well, I have asked that question myself. Mm -hmm. It's not like I haven't asked other people. Uh, mostly because during investigations, there has been a great deal of things that have been photographed that have been actually recorded on EMF, uh, electromagnetic field meters, mm -hmm. EVPs, electronic voice phenomenon, and basically on audio tape and on still pictures of a variety of spiritual encounters, everything from uh, light goes to uh, shadow people, um, doppelganging, um, gosh, it's uh, vortex rods that tend to draw energy. There's a variety of this that has already been filmed and already has some evidence yeah. of it. Well, that does, a variety it, uh, of equipment to pick it up. Okay, way to well, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. Sorry. You're going a mile a minute here. I'm sorry. I need to understand what you're saying. So tell me, how do you know that a lot of these variances in the equipment that you're using isn't being caused by, for example, cell towers or by, or by streams or ley lines that some of the events that you're actually perceiving to be paranormal are very normal? Sometimes. Uh -huh. Sometimes that we are deceiving, receiving it as paranormal as normal. Um, that's when you come in with a, a type of methodology we refer to as debunking. Debunking is when you start to really look around at what your surroundings, turn the lights on, see if something's there mm -hmm. that would have made that reflected in your picture. Um, look around, see if something would have made that sound on its own, That and listen closely. It might have been water dripping that 
you know, the reverberation of it through the building sounded like muffled voices below you. You see what I'm saying? You've got to really look around and start to ask yourself, okay, I have this here, mm-hmm. and what in my environment might have made it on its own without it being anything paranormal? So you roll things out, even to the point where we bring up the lights and take baseline pictures with all the lights on during an investigation to make sure that we're finding what we think we are. So what is and most of the time when I feel something, if I ask them to come on, that will come up on a meter. And I don't just mean mm-hmm. one. I mean two of them, three of them at a time. The electromagnetic field meters, they'll move the lights on them. Uh, some of them are made with the ability to utilize like a seance where they move the needle once for yes and twice for no. All right, so let me ask you, what are you hoping to accomplish when you and other ghost investigators go out into the field with all your equipment? What are you, what are you hoping to find? What are you hoping to accomplish? I don't know that I'm necessarily hoping to accomplish. Um, well, what's the, am, what's, what's the main reason for I going out? For, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I said, well, what is the main reason for doing what you do then? It's a gift. I'm born with it, and this energy exists here that I do know. Mm-hmm. Um, I am only just a vehicle that has that just has the ability. I go into these areas to offer these spirits mm-hmm. an opportunity to tell their story, an opportunity to seek repentance or seek forgiveness, an opportunity, even if they just want to tell somebody their story, that might help them pass. Um, maybe just to even help them understand that what they thought was there is no longer there. And sometimes repeatedly going back and working with them like that does help them to understand they're free to go. Free to go where? Pass on. You start to work with the equipment to see if you can talk to them about what they may have believed in life. Most spirits look at it from a perspective of what their belief system was in life. Did they believe in God or Jesus Christ? Did they, uh, were they oh, of a uh, persuasion, say, of like Gala? There was a lot of uh, Gala spirits here. Did they believe in any kind of religious persuasion at all? What mm-hmm. is their background? You talk to them and give them an opportunity to tell you about themselves by building on familiarities that you bring through the equipment. Like, um, you ask them if you believe in God, and on those seance meters, they bring the needle over once for yes. You may say that, honestly, I'm asking you if you believe in God, and they say yes very adamantly a second time. You can pretty much take that as yes. They're saying yes. When you're using those meters, look around you. If you're around conduit, you're not around any of the breaker boxes. You're not around any place where you're even close to light poles that could cause that uh, effect of electricity making a full circuit, which it turns into electromagnetic energy. But what about, whoa, whoa, slow down. You're doing it again. You're doing it again. You're going so fast. It's a bad habit. I can see that. Okay, so you've got all this equipment. What? But what about microwaves? What about uh, the cell tower? These are all over the place. How do you account for false readings? These are some of your debunking. First of all, your equipment only works within a few feet of you. It doesn't work within mass miles. You look around the place you're going to investigate or where you're looking for your spirits at or where you're picking up your energy. Mm-hmm. That's part of debunking, of looking at what's around your environment. Why is it debunking instead of actually looking for a cause instead of a spook? That's just the term they use in the paranormal world for actually looking for a reasonable cause of what it is. We go with that first before we start to go with a paranormal reason. Mm -hmm. 
And and what kind of training do do paranormal investigators get to become parascientists with all these equipment that all this different type of equipment that they're using? They get the equipment. They're trained by others who have been using the equipment. It's a matter of putting the time in with the equipment, of using it and reviewing the evidence and reviewing places that you've been. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate in this that I work in the jail. I've had a long span to work with the same group of spirits in the same structures. So I've become rather used to what is the building and what would possibly be something else. So am I, all right, we've got to take a break. We'll be back. Don't go away. Karen Meyer is our guest to this hour, Exxon Nation, www.bulldogtours.com. So, Karen, am I to understand that, that you work... A child's brain develops fastest from the time they are born until they turn five. Unfortunately, for millions of children living in under-resourced communities, this critical time to build a strong foundation for learning is at risk. Start Early expands access to quality early learning to help parents and children thrive. Learn all about Start Early and the work they do by visiting startearly.org learn. Dad deserves double the thanks this year. So this Father's Day, give him the power tool system that has everything for every job. The RYOBI One Plus tool system now on special buy. Over 260 RYOBI tools powered by one interchangeable 18-volt battery. And for a limited time, when you make a qualifying RYOBI purchase, you get one select tool or battery free. Feels like Father's Day at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Offer valid through July 31st, 2022. Valid at participating stores and online. Limit one per transaction. Dunkin' Refreshers are the perfect way to get a little more out of your day. With more tropical flavors like new mango pineapple and more ways to get glowing. Available with green tea, coconut milk, or lemonade. You've got what you need to make the most out of every moment. Even the ones spent stuck in traffic. Ah. <sighs> What a beautiful day. Sip into all your favorite Dunkin' refreshers, like new mango pineapple. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Additional charges may apply. Within the correctional system? I work in an old jail building that used to be one of the first jails ever constructed in our country after it became our country. So what, what do you do there uh, when you're not doing tours? We do tours during the evening, but we do investigations where we start at midnight. Um, we all, uh, anybody in the public or a paranormal group that would like to come down, uh, we go and we shut into the place from 12 to 2 or 12 to 4. So, so you do not actually work for that, for that, um, that jail or penitentiary now. You just work for the tour company. Uh, right now, but I do side cases on my own when people ask. A lot of people email me for palm readings. Okay. Um, tell us about your ability to be a clairvoyant. A lot of times with that, you'll find that things have energy on them. So what would you do a reading for someone 
be near them helps. If you're reading a living bit of energy, you have to be within an area in which you can kind of tune in on what they're what they are, what you're picking up on. If it's a deceased energy, then an object that was related to the deceased or being where they are at, where their energy would be concentrated, mm-hmm. or a person that they are drawn to because of their connection to them in life is a way to get a reading off of the spirit that has passed where you can get an answer for a person, a living person who's come to ask you a question, say, of their deceased grandparent. You might hold their handkerchief. You might hold their locket. Mm-hmm. It's something that holds their energy, which brings, starts to bring you to the subject of haunted objects. Huh? Uh, all right. So um, why do the spirits hang around? Like this, this property that you bring all these people to to go through the tours, uh, how many years have you been there, and how many people would you say have gone through during the time that you've been there and conducted investigations at the location? Um, probably well over a thousand now. The investigations have been going on for about five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the evening tours I've been doing for about eight now. And also through the cemetery, we also go through a dungeon that was used during the time of pirates and during the American Revolution. So uh, there's several locations around Charleston that are haunted that aren't just ones we go to on tour. Mm-hmm. But this makes for an interesting tour, and it, it, you get to talk to people not just about the deceased that are there, but right. a bit about paranormal investigation and how that works and the science behind it. So it makes for quite an interesting presentation for them. And uh, how much do people pay to go through on the jail, the prison tour, for example? I have no idea. Office takes care of that. And how many different tour guides are there? Uh, the jail, there's probably about five of us right now. There's almost there's almost about 35 to 40 guides that give night tours at Bulldog. Wow. But there's only about five guides that really work the jail, and it, mainly it's because the building. Now, I'm not going to tell you that the other guides can't give the tour because mm-hmm. they can't. They've all had, many of them, have had experiences in the building where they won't go back. So why do you, why do you think the paranormal is, is is such a big industry these days? I think people are looking for answers. Or cheap thrills? I think they see what's going on in the world and in their lives, and, and a lot of people have had experiences. Mm-hmm. And with the way things are going in the world... Uh, it's coming together, so to speak. That very old stuff you read about how the veil comes down, the wall comes down, and the living become more aware of the side of the deceased, and this all starts to come together. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more of it going on now. I mean, it's much more paranormally active than it ever was when I was young and first learning about it. Or has it always been this this busy, but with the advent of all this communication equipment that we have where everything is instantaneous, it's just become more known. Well, it didn't help the Parker Brothers that patented the Ouija board. Okay, so what's that got to do with anything? You've lost me here. Uh, that's another one. Well, Ouija boards are one of those, are an old, 
old method of communicating with the dead. There's a lot of it. It's been going on since the 1850s. It's not a new sort of thing. Seances mm-hmm. have been used, and communicating with the dead has been used. It's older than the Bible and the life of Christ itself. What is the it's Ouija board? It's done very different methods. Now it's done with scientific equipment that measures gauze and flux You see, this is where I have a problem, because you're saying it's been it's used using scientific instrumentation, and yet science does not acknowledge the paranormal. There's parapsychologists. They're not scientists, though. How can you get a degree in psychology? You'd have to have a degree in psychology to be a parapsychologist. And no, you don't. Maybe it's not a recognized no, field, but you know, a lot of other fields have not been a recognized field well, before it came to its time. But there's a lot, there's a lot of... of people that claim to have certain powers or gifts within the paranormal who are nothing but a bunch of phonies. You know, here in Canada, reading a person or giving a person a reading where money is exchanged is against the law. I don't ask anybody for money. No, I'm just telling you about why the public in general looks at the paranormal through cautious eyes. Because over and the years, I cannot years, blame them, yeah. and they should. There are a lot of charlatans mm-hmm. that are out here charging people far too much money. They're ripping them off. They're con people, trying to give them false hope in their futures mm-hmm. and false answers from the dead when they're grieving, and it, it's actually rather sickening. So, how does how does a member of the public know who's legitimate, who's not legitimate? Because generally, if somebody's legitimate, they'll tell you things that they couldn't possibly know about you. That's the only way? I can do it within a certain range of the person if I'm reading their living energy. I can start to talk about what their life's like, whether mm-hmm. they have turmoil in it right now or not, whether they're single or not. Okay. I can pick out if they have children, if they're the marrying type, uh, if they're somebody who enjoys reading a book or they enjoy adrenaline sports. All right. I can take all that out of your hand and more, as well as your living energy and more. You're a skeptic. You've been at it for 25 years and talked to so many people, mm-hmm. and you're a fellow who likes things to be tangible. You like evidence you can put in your hand. Mm. And not only can you not get evidence on this, but you can't really find a real good example of the sciences that goes behind it. You see, you could have read that on the Internet because that's in my bio. I didn't really read your bio. Well, how do I know that? You don't. I mean, I clicked on the site to see if X- I looked mm. at Exxon Radio, but yeah. I didn't go on and read your bio. See, I'm not a skeptic. You're wrong there. I want to believe, but I want proof. There's a big difference between wanting to believe and being a non-believer. I didn't say you're... I, skeptic doesn't mean you're a non-believer. It means you want proof. Who doesn't want proof? Well, people believe before they get that far. They've had some experience in their life that they believe was mm-hmm. a genuine spiritual experience. How do we explain the fact that, it, let's say, a group of people go out to a place that's supposed to be haunted? Not everybody mm-hmm. in the group will experience something, while others will. How do we explain that? It's the people who are experiencing something. The ones that have not, mm-hmm. the only way that's something different is if they, ones that have not experienced have not been to the same locations as those who experienced. 
generally on investigation, if you've got somebody who hit a hot spot that's having experience, they're mm-hmm. going to tell the other people they're with so they can get other people to go over there and get more people who have an experience. Uh, if they're having more than one person who has an experiment, mm-hmm. experience, excuse me, a lot of times we'll design an experiment to see if we can get the spirit to acknowledge itself. Why is it so important to have interaction with the spirit? Why don't people just leave the dead alone? Because in the place where I work in particularly, they mm-hmm. don't leave. The buildings built over a graveyard to begin with where they buried over top of each other. And then they built a jail over it. And they hanged people in the backyard mm-hmm. and they starved them to death in it. Okay. So? You're probably going to have a lot of spirits there forever. It's going to, It's not ever an area that's ever going to be cleansed. There was too much tragedy, and a lot of those spirits don't let go. They're trapped in that quagmire of the despair and sadness, and it brought them to that. But what would happen if those spirits did leave? Well, fantastic. If they left, I'd be happy for them, They'd get, especially if, they, if they're going to leave and go on to where they, they, you know, they're not, they're trapped in this mm-hmm. this emotional upset, this sadness, the heaviness that that building has. But I, Every time I find a spirit, I start to talk to them to see if I could get them to leave, to go ahead. Tell them they're free to go. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard people say that by spirit, the way that's my purpose i try and help spirits pass from where they're stuck uh-huh. i I've, I've heard from many people that spirits stay behind because they don't want to face possible judgment that's true okay fear and, of god we have that in life but why uh, wait a second hold on hold on you're whoa, whoa. Love so much for someone else you who you're doing it again. hope that their love comes back to meet them you're, you're doing it again you're talking over me What about the part where God, Jesus, Jesus died for our sins so that no one has to to worry about what happens when they die? Right or wrong? That everybody goes to heaven. Right or wrong? What about the redemption? It's true, but they don't say that. There's no promise that you instantly die and go to heaven. Well, there's nothing that says a person's spirit roams the earth either. There's a school of thought that believes that you can do whatever you want in life because Christ died on the cross for our sins. So do what you want, you're saved anyways. That's There's a school, a school of, thought. of thought that thinks that because Christ died on the cross for our sins that we should mm-hmm. work to be better people. We should work on ourselves to be more infallible. Although we err, even though we're human, we err and we forgive, we're divine. Yeah. I mean, it has a lot to do with how we are as persons. Where does the line exist between crossing a, to a point where there's, a, there's disrespect to those who have departed, whether they're spirits, whether they're ghosts, whether they're whatever? When, when, is, it, when is it disrespectful? And, and why do people go into graveyards, and, and why are they sacrilegious? A graveyard is hallowed grounds. No one should be there except the families of those who have passed and who are grieving and paying respect. What gives a ghostbuster or, or a paranormal investigator the right to actually go to hallowed ground 
and desecrate it because they're looking for spirits. Depends upon your methodology and how you go to look no, about. No, 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 Eric. no, 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 I, I don't buy that at all. Trespassing is trespassing. Well, first of all, most of us respectfully would, would talk to the people who would not go with trespassing. Do you, do you talk to the families of the departed that are buried there, or do you just talk to the administrators of the, of the graveyard? What would the what would the gotten permission from the administrators? Well, but what, what would the family what would the, the what would the what would the families say if researchers so-called researchers asked them if they could go into the graveyards where their families are buried, the members of the family are buried, because they want to see if there are spirits? How would you feel? I I I, I certainly wouldn't give my permission. Would you? I. I probably wouldn't either, but like I said, I don't take groups into graveyards to investigate. Now, you have groups that go in graveyards yeah. to investigate. Mm-hmm. We do earlier tours through a graveyard, but we also assist with them raising money for the preservation of their church, of their graveyard. It's the oldest graveyard in Charleston. So it might A correct- lot of the tours about historic funeral practices. So am I to, am I to believe, based on what you just said, that bringing people through graveyards is a way of raising money to keep the graveyard in business or, or kept up? In Charleston, in the early culture, they have courting benches at the back of our graveyards. They called them, they called them, uh, they were public areas where people would stroll through. People would court in them. They called them pleasure gardens. Mm-hmm. They weren't considered graveyards like people may look in, in other places. Okay, and? They didn't consider it desecration to take your loved one in there and sit on the bench and look at the gravestones of your loved ones in, in court. I mean, that's the kinds of things we're talking about when we're on these tours. Um, the church must not mind that much. They've had actual functions going on in the church when we've been giving the evening tours. Mm-hmm. They hear what we say. The families hear what we say. They know what we say. It's not every tour company in Charleston that has the right to go in that graveyard. It is just the guys from Bulldog. And those of us who hold that responsibility have a key, and we take it very seriously. And when we walk in there, we do treat them with respect. We remind people to stick to the paths and that these are the oldest members of the society. These are our founding fathers. Why does Bulldog have the only key? because we assist the church in the preservation of the church and the yard. The church itself, the building sitting there, dates back to 1892. Mm-hmm. It has stained glass windows that need care. The oldest gravestone in there, the upright stones, date back to 1723. They need care. Mm-hmm. So there's various aspects. What it, I know it sounds bad that you're raising money, but... That money actually helps them to preserve the church, the grounds, and the stones, and all the crypt tops that are in there. So I think that's why the probably a lot why the families do not get so upset about it. I guess it saves the church money instead of having to spend the money on the preservation of this graveyard and property. They can spend their money on something else. We are reminded when we go into places like that mm-hmm. too, do we have respect? All right, stand by. I've got to take my final break for this hour. Exxon Nation, Karen Mars, our guest. BulldogTours.com. 
I'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Back everyone, Karen Marr is our guest, uh, bulldogtours.com. Karen, based on your experience, where is the most haunted place in Charleston, South Carolina? Probably the square the jail's built on because of being a popper's filled with a jail built over top of it. And what kind of hauntings or paranormal activity do you have there? Everything from sightings, things filmed, people being grabbed, people being pushed. Um, kicked. There's been people left with rope marks on them, bitings. It depends upon how they attract, uh, how they go towards a ghost, how they actually go to attracting communication. If it's familiarity, it'll be a light touch. Um, they'll get pictures. If they set up something with a cue on the floor and a piece of tape with a camera on it, they'll get activity that way. The, they, like most of the ghost shows and some of these other people we're discussing, mm-hmm. they come in a building, they are trespassing, and they begin to speak very disrespectfully. They cuss at them. They scream at the building things that nobody would ever want to say to them. It's offensive. It would make you angry. And that's why they get reaction. So what are your final thoughts for the Exxon Nation tonight when it comes to the proper way of doing a research investigation into the paranormal? Folks, say your prayer before you go in. You're cleansing yourself. Remember, the only spirit to ever call to you is God and Jesus Christ. The spirits that you speak to otherwise are spirits that are where you go where they are. You do not call them to you. Otherwise, treat them with respect. Remember, those were people once, too. And if it's something you wouldn't want someone to do to you, please don't do it to a spirit. All right, Karen, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. Exonation Karen Marr has been our guest. Her website is bulldogtours.com. I don't know, I have a bit of a problem with these Ghostbusters or so-called Ghostbusters or paranormal researchers who do it for the thrill, the excitement what about the people that they're disrespecting? What about the families of the living, the spirits and memories of the dead? I find it very offensive. I, I really do. You know, like, hallowed ground, for God's sake. Do you really need to get thrills so bad that you go chasing the dead? Don't forget, they were alive at one time. So why chase them? Let them rest in peace. Get your thrills by going to the local arcade, playing a pinball machine. And what proof are you going after? If these ghosts are making themselves so well known about pushing people, pinching them, biting them, 
isn't that proof enough that they're there? What do you really need the proof for? What are you going to accomplish? If you're trying to accomplish, there's life. Uh, if you're trying to find proof that there's life after death, my goodness, getting pinched, bit, tossed, pushed, shoved, isn't that proof enough for you? I don't see very much proof. All I see is a lot of hype, a lot of speculation, and a lot of people who have way too much time on their hands. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exome from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. You know, 25 years of doing this show, thousands of guests, and we're no further ahead today than we were all those years ago. If you do get the proof, what happens then? You know, I believe the cons- there's a conspiracy within the ghost world as there is in the UFO world that it's the ghost people who are keeping the conspiracy alive because they're making money. Follow the money. That's what life is all about. We'll be back. Don't go away. Are you passionate about your professional future but not sure what's next? The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business can take your education and career to the next level with its highly ranked Working Professional MBA. With flexibility to earn a degree entirely on campus, online, or a mix of both, an MBA from Ohio State is more accessible than ever. To get started, visit go.osu.edu slash WPMBA. The Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, where principled leaders are created. 